feel i feel i i don't feel better but i feel i feel normal levels of yeah. rage yeah, um, so go. so you this is you'll you'll either be uh 24 or 48 hours removed from our entire full-length episode <laughs> that was just just a rant yeah so let's uh let's not fuck let's, around we usually leave that to other podcasts but a lot was happening yeah you know what and then others will probably do it better but god damn it i needed to have my piece said and uh yeah. the, the only format i ever get to say my piece is uh whenever i'm sitting in here recording it with david because damn it no one else knows no one else listens. Although I was very proud. It was it was very it was a very cool moments that I was talking to my I was talking to my wife. Um and because I was the thought of revolutionary defeat has been, been kicking around, yeah. and of course uh, uh, on the episode where we, we said we're not gonna we're not gonna fuck around, we're gonna get right in the book. I'm gonna now yeah. fuck around. <laughs> but uh, the uh, no, it was because I, I said I said okay, so you know theoretically, just just trying to because I was just trying to engage. I don't try and I don't try and you know push too hard on that one. Yeah. Um. But I, I was trying to trying to get get the tone, and and I said so we, if if there was some sort of war to break out as a result of this, and a, a yeah. continue more like a continuation of the current war that we've been in forever. Sure. Um, would you want us to win or would you want us to lose? And her first question to me was, what does winning even mean in that context? Okay. So I was like, married a good one. Yeah. Like shit. That's a good goddamn question. Cause I don't even fucking know. (laughs) Like I don't even know what winning would mean anymore. Like I have no concept of what, like I don't even know what kind of victory you possibly are looking for anymore in this kind of a conflict. Um, but, but no, long story. She was cool with it. So no, that was, so had her, had her on board for revolutionary defeatism. That's a, that's a fun thing. Um, she's not quite at the, I hope all the troops get shot one at a time, but, uh, but we'll, you know, one step, one day at a time. One day at a time, guys. We'll get yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it took me it took me a second. So that was that was the fun moment where I, I was happy that I married married well. That being said, uh someone who also married uh at some point, I think, maybe. I don't know. Fuck, I'm so off fucking <laughs> off kilter. Dude, David, can you read for a second? Yeah, I got so, nothing. So Fanon, we're gonna start back. We're in chapter four. Yes. Uh the end of uh, bottom of page two twenty six. We're about to get into a big We're about to uh, get into some guitar music, and some, I will some African ballet. Are we gonna Are we gonna read this whole thing? Uh, maybe, maybe you know, I when I read through it, I didn't get much out of it. I didn't so. get anything okay. out of it. I think okay. we kind of skipped this, like we skipped the, uh, okay. like we skipped the old poem. Okay, so we're gonna get right. At, we're gonna get to the end of two thirty one. Otherwise, I'd have to put a lot of guitar music in here. Yes. I don't, I don't want to do with yeah. licensing. Or um, so like pretend that. like we just read a ballet. We um, just re- and you know because you know what I've always said, the p- correct medium for ballet is radio. Radio is absolutely yes. when I want the Nutcracker, I just turn on the radio and I go yes. yes. I yeah. see this. Yes. Rev- revolutionary ballet nutcracker. Now, if you told now we need some revolution. I want revolutionary ballet. Now. <laughs> Did, is that a thing? Did socialist realism produce revolutionary ballet? Because I want that. <laughs> I want that desperately. Uh, but st- starting at the end of page 231 right after it, we're going to say, uh, or Fanon says, if I have chosen to quote this long poem, it is on account... <laughs> you have not, Fanon. We have made it so. <laughs> yes, it is on account of its unquestioned pedagogical value. Here, things are clear. and It is a precise, forward-looking exposition. Oh, maybe we should summarize real quick. There's a guy who goes off to fight in Germany for France um, from one of the the uh, colonizing... It goes to fight in one colonizing country for against another colonizing country and is a war hero up there right for his people because his people had gone to the the masses and said we need your best warrior and he was on his way back home uh to meet up with his his family and he was killed by the colonizers um in the in the the ballet in the so you know i think naaman uh was his name um so was his name that's a little that's a little little on the nose for my take but you know i'm 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 here for it i'll I'll accept it i'll let it i'll let it ride uh the understanding of the poem is not 
not merely an intellectual advance, but a political advance. To understand this poem is to understand part one has played to recognize one's advance and to furbish up one's weapons. There's not a single colonized person who will not receive the message that this poem holds. Naaman, the hero of the battlefields of Europe. Naaman, who eternally ensures the power and the perenniality of the mother country. Naaman is machine gunned by the police force at the very moment that he comes back to the country of his birth. And this is Satif in 1945. This is Fort La France in this is Saigon, Dakar, Lagos. All of those slurs, all the uh, all the yeah. weird W slur we can't figure out. Yeah, the uh, one we're not yeah, we're not sure about that one. Yeah, uh who fought to defend the liberty of France or for British civilization recognized themselves in this poem by Keita Fabeda. Uh, but Keita Fabeda sees further in colonized countries colonialism after having made use of the natives on the battlefields uses them as trained soldiers to put down the movements of independence the ex-service associations are in the colonies one of the most anti-nationalist elements which exist the poet Keita Fabeda was training the minister of eternal affairs of the Republic of Guinea to frustrate the plots organized by the French colonialism the French secret service intended to use among other means the ex-servicemen to break up the young independent Guinean state. Um, and, you know, again, we I mean, we talked about clandestine operations how many times on this podcast? Uh, quite a bit last week. Quite a bit. Yeah. Or two days ago. Uh, yeah, for, yeah, a little bit. Listeners, you, y'all, heard, y'all heard about clandestine operations? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. For the record, uh, that W word is a slur. It's a British uh, uh. British informal offensive slur for anyone who's not white. Oh, okay. So, so there we go. I feel, okay. I feel comfortable not using it because... Yeah, yeah. we'll just skip it. Good. We'll just okay. skip it. Uh, the colonized man who writes for his people ought to use the past with the intention of opening the future as an invitation to action and as a basis for hope. But to ensure that the hope is to give it form, he must take part in action and throw himself, body and soul, into the national struggle. You may speak about everything under the sun, but when you decide to speak that unique thing in a man's life that is represented by the fact of opening up new horizons, by bringing light to your own country and by raising yourself and your people to their feet, then you must collaborate with the physical plane. The responsibility of the native man of culture is not a responsibility vis-a-vis his national culture, but a global responsibility with regard to the totality of the nation, whose culture merely, after all, represents one aspect of the nation. The cultured native should not concern himself with choosing the level on which he wishes to fight or the sector where he decides to give battle for his nation. To fight for his national culture means the first place to fight for the liberation of the nation, that material keystone for which makes the building of a culture possible. There is no other fight for culture which can develop part of the popular struggle. To take an example, all of those men and women who are fighting with their bare hands against the French colonialism in Algeria are not by any means strangers to the national culture of Algeria. The national Algerian culture is talking on form and content as the battles are being fought out in prisons, under the guillotine, and in every French outpost which is captured or destroyed. So Fanon here is saying, you know, again, culture is not something that's happening congruently. And like, I'm fighting the culture battle. You're fighting out in the field. You are part of this fight. And the culture is an expression of this. The poems, the ballads, the paintings all come out of this revolutionary fervor. It should... And, and he said kind of something interesting there. He said that culture is only one aspect of the nation, but it has to deliver the nation to the world. Yeah. You know, you have to really connect with the people and express not just the culture, but the fight your people are going through or you're not truly expressing the culture in your people. Yeah. We must not, therefore, be content with delving into the past of a people in order to find coherent elements which will counteract colonialism's attempt to falsify and harm. We must work and fight with the same rhythm as the people to construct the future and to prepare the ground where vigorous shoots are already springing up. A national culture is not a folklore, nor an abstract populism that believes it can discover the people's true nature. It is not made up of the inner dregs of gratuitous action, that is to say actions which are less and less attached to the ever-present reality of the people. A national culture is the whole body of efforts made by a people in the sphere of thought to describe, justify, and praise the action through which that people has created itself and keeps itself in existence. A national culture in underdeveloped countries should therefore take its place at the very heart of the struggle for freedom, which these countries are carrying on. Men of African cultures who are still fighting in the name of African Negro culture and who have called many Congresses in the name of the unity of that culture should today realize that all their efforts amount to what is to make comparisons between coins and sarcophagi. 
There is no common destiny to be shared between the national cultures of Senegal and, Gu- and Guinea. But there is a common destiny between the Senegalese and the Guinean nations, which are both dominated by the same French colonialism. If it is wished that the national culture of Senegal should come to resemble the national culture of Guinea, it is not enough for the, pro- for the rulers of the two peoples to decide to consider their problems, whether the problem of liberation is concerned or trade union question or economic difficulties from similar viewpoints. And even here, there does not seem to be complete identity for the rhythm of the people and that their rulers, that of their rulers are not the same. There can be no two cultures which are completely identical. To believe that it is possible to create a black culture is to forget that mm, slur are disappearing, just as those people who brought them into being are seeing the breakup of their economic and cultural supremacy. There will never be such a thing as black culture because there is not a single politician who feels he has a vocation to bring black republics into being. The problem is to get to know that place that there that these men to give the problem is to get to know the place that these men mean to give their people the kind of social relations that they decide to set up and the conception that they have of the future of humanity. It is this that counts. Everything else is mystification signifying nothing. And real quick, because they're always important, it seems like there is a footnote. And uh, so there's a footnote right after a breakup of economic and cultural supremacy. At the last school prize giving in Dakar, the president of the Senegalese Republic, Leopold Senghor, decided to include the study of the idea of negritude in the curriculum. If this decision was due to a desire to study historical causes, no one can criticize it. But if, on the other hand, it was taken in order to create black self-consciousness, it is simply a turning of his back upon history, which has already taken cognizance of the disappearance of the majority of Negroes. Yeah. Um, in 1959, the cultured Africans who met at Rome never stopped talking about unity. But one of the people who was loudest in the praise of his cultural unity, Jacques Rebamananjara. Reba, no, no. Reba is today the minister of the Madagascan government and as such has decided with his government to oppose the Algerian people in the General Assembly of the United Nations. Uh, Reba Rebamananjara if he had been true to himself, ought to have resigned from the government and denounced those men who acclaim the incarnate the will of the Madagascar and people. The 90,000 dead of Madagascar had not given Rabamananjara authority to oppose aspirations of the Algerian people in the General Assembly of the United Nations. It is around the people's struggles that the African Negro culture takes a substance, not around songs, poems, or folklore. Senghor, who is also a member of the Society of African Culture and who has worked with us on the question of African culture, is not afraid in his part either to give order to the delegation to support French proposals on Algeria, adherence to the African Negro culture, or to the cultural unity of Africa is arrived at the first place by upholding unconditionally the people's struggles for freedom. No one can truly wish for the spread of African culture if he does not give practical support for the creation of the conditions necessary to the existence of that culture. In other words, to the liberation of the whole continent. I say it again, no speech making, no proclamation concerning culture will turn us from our fundamental tasks. The liberation of the national territory, a continual struggle against colonialism in its new form, and an obstinate refusal to enter a charmed circle of mutual admiration at the summit. So, I mean, again, he's basically saying these are all independent national struggles and they're struggling against the same enemy yeah. and they need to show solidarity for each other, right? But it's it's solidarity. It's not one unified struggle. They don't need to erase the different battles. And they certainly, you know, and he he got on uh, Rabamananjara. <laughs> yup. Uh, Definitely getting that one right. Yeah, and he got Definitely on him. Definitely no issue there. He got on him for stabbing the Algerian people in the back, you know, after the All independence right. of Madagascar. Would think you should. Yeah, I mean, and this is something where, we, you know, we read Fananda reflect in our own lives and we say we're a decolonial struggle here. This is something to consider, and I, I, I would hope this is something that that's put on more an indigenous people to work out rather than for us, you know, on the sidelines to try to work out, but we should be fighting with them in solidarity, uh, that, you know— there's not a, one indigenous person to the Americas, right? There's all no. these different nations with their different histories and cultures and things like that. Yeah. And they all have their own independent struggle, but it's it's a unified struggle against one settler colony enemy. Yes. Uh, but it is its own struggle in its own region. You know, I mean, Standing Rock is the same struggle as, as what we're seeing in the Tar Sands project up there. But that doesn't mean like 
every single indigenous uh, spot's main concern is going to be water protection and ecocide versus an oil pipeline. No, no, right? well, I'm, well, no. It's just naturally that's not going to be an, if you don't live near oil. That's not a thing that defines <laughs> right. your cultural identity. I mean, it's it's pretty straight. Right. Pretty I mean, simple. some indigenous groups, it's going to be more like you know protecting rainforests, as you're going to see you know down in in Bolivia as they take on the Cristo fascists, Brazil. And Brazil, yeah, obviously in Brazil, um, you know, some places it's going to be more the effects of global warming. It's it's going to be different things everywhere that they're going to have to fight with colonialism. So we're all fighting the same force, and it's all it's all a unified struggle in the same in the fact that that we're fighting the same fight to defeat the same enemy. But it's not the same struggle for individual liberation, and each one he has to have individual liberation. This is something that. That we go back to the national question um, yes. from Stalin and, and Lenin yes, and things do. like that. You know, I mean, this is this is exactly the national question, right? Yep. You know, do you have a distinct enough struggle and distinct enough culture and a distinct enough ethnicity that this deserves of nation? This is its own struggle and should be respected as such, and that's the only path to liberation. And guess what? We're going to get into a lot of that in Redskins White Masks. <laughs> Just a bit. Yeah. Just a bit. Reciprocal bases of national culture and the fight for freedom. We've hit a subtitle. <laughs> Colonial domination, because it is total and tends to oversimplify, very soon manages to disrupt in spectacular fashion the cultural life of a conquered people. This cultural obliteration is made possible by the negation of national reality, by the new legal rel- relations introduced by the occupying power, by the banishment of the natives and their customs to the outlying districts by colonial society by expropriation, and by the systematic enslaving of men and women. Three years ago, at our first Congress, I showed that in the colonial situation, dynamism is replaced fairly quickly by a substantification of the attitudes of the colonizing power. The area of culture is then marked off by fences and signposts. These are, in fact, so many defense mechanisms of the most elementary type. Comparable for more than one good reason to the simple instinct for preservation, the interest of this period for us is that the oppressor does not manage to convince himself of the objective non-existence of the oppressed nation and its culture. Every effort is made to bring the colonized person to admit the inferiority of his culture, which has been transformed into instinctive patterns of behavior to recognize the unreality of his nation, quote unquote. And in the last extreme, the confused and imperfect character of his own biological structure. Vis-a-vis this state of affairs, the natives' reactions are not unanimous. While the mass of the people maintain intact traditions which are completely different from these of those of the colonial situation, and the artisanal style solidifies into a formalism which is more and more stereotyped, the intellectual throws himself in frenzied fashion into the frantic acquisition of the culture of the occupying power and takes every opportunity of unfavorably criticizing his own national culture, or else takes refuge in setting out and substantiating the claims of that culture in a way that is passionate but rapidly becomes unproductive. The common nature of these two reactions lies in the fact they both lead to impossible contradictions. Whether a turncoat or a substantialist, the native is ineffectual precisely because the analysis of the colonial situation is not carried out on strict lines. The colonial situation calls a halt to national culture in an almost every field. Within the framework of colonial domination, there is not and there never will be such a phenomenon as new cultural departures or changes in the national culture. Here, the variant attempts... New cultural here, here, the, here, there, the variant attempts are valiant sometimes, attempts. Valiant, valiant attempts, attempts are sometimes made to reanimate the cultural dynamic and to give fresh impulses to its themes, its forms, and its tonalities. The immediate, palpable, and obvious interest of such leaps ahead is nil. But if we follow up the consequences to the very end, we see that preparations are being thus made to brush off the cobwebs of national consciousness, to question oppression, and to open up the struggle for freedom. So, I mean, they seize your mind. It's stuck. Yeah. It's blue. Um, A national culture under colonial domination is contested culture whose destruction is sought in systematic fashion. It very quickly becomes a culture condemned to secrecy. The idea of clandestine culture is immediately seen in the reactions of the occupying power, which interprets attachment to traditions as faithfulness to the spirit of the nation and as refusal to submit. This persistence in following forms of cultures which are already condemned to extinction is already a demonstration of nationality, but it is a demonstration which is a throwback to the laws of inertia. There is no taking of the offensive and no redefining of relationships. There is simply a concentration on a hard core of culture which is becoming more and more shriveled up, inert, and empty. 
By the time a century or two of exploitation has passed, there comes about a veritable emaciation of the stock of the national culture. It becomes a set of automatic habits, some traditions of dress, and a few broken down institutions. Little movement can be discerned in some tremendous culture. There is no real creativity and no overflowing life. The poverty of the people, the national oppression, and the inhibition of culture are one and the same thing. After a century of colonial domination, we find a culture which is rigid in the extreme, or rather what we find are the dregs of culture, its mineral strata. The withering away of reality of a nation and the death pangs of the national culture are linked in each other in a mutual dependence. This is why it is of capital importance to follow the evolution of these relations during the struggle for national freedom. The negation of natives' culture, the contempt for any manifestation of culture, whether active or emotional, and the placing outside of the pale of all specialized branches of organization contribute to breed aggressive patterns of conduct in the native. But these patterns of conduct are of a reflexive type. They're poorly differentiated, anarchic, and ineffective. Colonial exploitation, poverty, and endemic fashion drive the native more and more to be open, organized, revolt. Endemic famine, not fashion. Oh, God Endemic fashion, I just imagine, you know, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, you know, just a lot of people doing, like, voguing. And I don't think that's going to necessarily... I didn't even catch that. No, no, no. That's that's why we're here. That's why there's two of us. But yeah, it is is endemic famine that drives them to organize revolt. Yes, colonial exploitation. Poverty and endemic famine (laughs) derive the native more and more to open, organized revolt. The necessity for an open and decisive breach is formed progressively and imperceptibly and comes to be felt by the great majority of the people. Those tensions which hitherto are non-existent come into being. International events collapse of whole sections of colonial empires and the contradictions inherent in the colonial system strengthen and uphold the native's combativity while promoting and giving support to the national conscious. So this is like... People are getting more and more conscious from their their poverty. They're driven into this, right? Yeah, you know, no. they're starving. They've got to fight back. It and when you can't burning point, when you can't eat, you really start to you know you're going to start interrogating the the, the well, yeah. Why, why am I hungry? Why, why are those guys got food? Why what the hell's my food? Yeah, that that is the acute. That is the the, the single. Mo- I mean, look, look, a specter is haunting colonialism. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good. Uh, these newfound tensions, which are present at all stages in the real nature of colonialism, have their repercussions on the cultural plane. In literature, for example, there is relative overproduction. From being a reply on a minor scale to the dominating power, the literature pr- produced by natives becomes differentiated and makes itself into a will of par- to particularism. The intelligentsia, which during the period of repression was essentially a consuming public, now themselves become producers. This literature at first chooses to confine itself to the tragic and poetic style, but later on novels, short stories, and essays are attempted. It is as if a kind of internal organization or law of expression existed which wills that poetic expression becomes a less frequent in proportion as the objectives and the methods of the struggle for liberation become more precise. Themes are completely altered. In fact, we find less and less of bitter, hopeless recrimination and less also of that violent, resounding, florid writing, which on the whole serves to reassure the occupying power. The colonialists have, in former times, encouraged these modes of expression and made their existence possible. Stinging denunciations, the exposing of distressing conditions and passions which find their outlet in expression are, in fact, assimilated by the occupying power in a cathartic process. To aid such processes is a certain is in a certain sense to avoid their dramatization and to clear the atmosphere. That is a really really important uh, point right there because yeah. that that happens. There is so. So much of that in our culture right now, that that concept of 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 media that that appears to be I, I don't want to say revolutionary, but even appears to be, you know, fighting something that appears to yeah. be doing something or, or doing. And you, you think, well, why? Why would they allow this? Oh, if they were really trying to stop us, you know, whoa, we have our freedom of speech that protects us. But they stop that all the time. Why are why are certain things that that, that feel revolutionary allowed to be there? And there is a very real theory of that, that catharsis. Yeah. Taps away that revolutionary energy. It makes you feel like you've done something when you haven't. So yeah, and it, it depends on the 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 message that's delivered with that. A hundred percent. You know, like there's a, a Harriet Tubman movie, right? Uh Harriet Tubman movie goes out and says, you know, Harriet Tubman's a hero. She defeated this thing in our past. She was saved by this this valiant white guy, and we're all we're all happy go lucky. And it was the good white guys in the north and the slaves, and we all did it. We defeated slavery, right? And that 
that's cathartic and and dishonest and, yeah, and lulls mm-hmm. you to sleep. You know, yeah. that's 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 a form of propaganda. If you turn around and make a Harriet Tubman movie that shows, you know, the brutality faced by slaves, the fighting she had to do, it wasn't just hiding people place to place. She, I mean, she armed up. She had to get herself uh-huh. the hell out of there. Yeah. Um, you know, she she you know saving herself and saving other people. Uh, that valiant heroics fighting back against you know the brutality of the the or the white man the the black man fighting the brutality. You know that's. Uh, that that's a whole different movie. That's a whole yeah. motivation. And so, you know, the question with this culture becomes, are you riling people up, pointing in a direction, inspiring people, yeah. or are you giving people an outlet? And I wonder if that sometimes some of these big movies, you know, these big scores and things like that, and they give people, you know, an outlet. Um, yeah. look, what's, look what's big now, right? Is Star Wars is huge? Oh, yeah. Oh no, no. Yeah, Star Wars is large. Yeah, Star Wars is large. It's these these rebels against the the great powerful empire. And the funny thing is, there was an uh, interview in seventy three uh, with Lucas, where it was originally written actually in supportive of uh, the Vietnamese. Oh, I was like, it was uh, the ragtag broke rebels against the the this, you know um, superior technological empire. Right. This, one more time, I need one a week. This film is dedicated to the brave Mujahideen. Yes, right, right. <laughs> but you know, but now Star Wars is is just you know. It's all about the Jedi and, and winking back at the characters. And we overcame it and hooray, we're the heroic people. And then there's people like cheering on their hero characters and, and it yeah. becomes like this this cultural rah-rah thing. Yeah. Or, you know, or again, you know, you see the heroes and politicians. These are these horrible white supremacist politicians. They're happy to bomb any black and brown person left and right. Uh, but that that woman hero one that was a lawyer in the seventies. Never mind all her racist policies. She's she's something to look up to. Oh, this this judge that sits in uh, uh, the Supreme Court. You know, she stood up for women. You know, these are these are our heroes, right? It's meant to be cathartic. Like you adore the heroes who have done it, and it's all done, and we're in this fight together. Instead of those are our enemies, and it's time to fight. And look at ostensibly look at ostensibly quote unquote liberal media to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, uh, two two really good examples that point to my. Um, John Oliver and and The Daily Show in general. Yeah. Great examples of they don't actually challenge power in any no. in any way whatsoever. No, they tell you the one party's bad. They tell you everyone's stupid. They yeah, make well, a couple jokes. And every once in a while they'll poke fun at both parties, but they they do it in a way that they like John Oliver, I think, is the best at it. Um in the sense that he he does very detailed analysis mm-hmm. of 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 topics. And you can't fault the research. A lot of times the underlying research of what he's saying is accurate, but the conclusions that get drawn off of it mm-hmm. are are wild, are just basically reinforced neoliberal nonsense. But he does it with that, he gets he gets angry enough and then deflects it with humor. And gets angry yeah. enough and then deflects it with humor. And he does that enough times that you feel like by watching that you've done something or if I've shared that I've done something that that's a great point because you look at protests right and we yes. talked about you know protests are something you got to get in people's faces it's important to show up yes you know show make awareness is a big thing but once awareness is there you know like if people are aware war with Iran is bad it's built on lies okay you're aware you're you know that view is out there now it's got to be disrupted now it's got to be in people's faces yeah but you see the the very liberal protest that the pink hat you know protest and it's about who makes the most clever sign. Yeah. Well, right? It's the same it's the same attitude that Oliver, was born out of the Daily Show. Oliver's show does it even to, to a to a greater extent. He subverts it even I think one step further because they do because I know you do not watch that show. No, <laughs> no, no, I don't. They do and I stopped a long time ago, but they do these grand kind of gestures like and we paid a million dollars to go send 400 books to Donald Trump. We've started a fake charity to oh, yeah. show just how fake charities are and we're donating the money to the, they they give this illusion that again that they are that that by just watching that show and just engaging with that content that you are somehow doing something and it is the definition of catharsis it it absolutely dulls that rage and that need that need to feel like you need to do something because you, well the guy on TV got it better I, he's got it we, we're we're taken care of and that's what I, that it just yeah. those are the examples in, in our modern time that jump out to me so much about that that particular sentence and the, the concept of catharsis in general being yeah being and, used by the colonizer to keep you subdued to keep you because he knows you're angry mm-hmm. he has to give you an outlet for that yes or you're going to, so this that is a, a a tactical outlet to give people to to let them 
not really want to rise up. Yeah, and and uh, by the way, anyone since we we are a podcast here, anyone listen to us. This is to radicalize you, uh, so that you go out and yes. you fuck up some some lives of some ruling class yes. people. This is yes. not meant to be catharsis. Do not let no, it do that. Don't no no Mm-mm. no no ma uh-uh. um. But such a situation can only be transitory. In fact, the progress of national consciousness among the people modifies and gives precision to the literary utterances of the native intellectual. The continued cohesion of the people constitutes for the intellectual an invitation to go further than his cry of protest. The lament first makes the indictment and then it makes an appeal. In the period that follows, the words of command are heard. The crystallization of national consciousness will both disrupt literary styles and themes and also create a completely new public. While at the beginning, the native intellectual used to produce his work to be read exclusively by the oppressor, whether with the intention of charming him or of denouncing him through ethnic or subjectivist means, now the native writer progressively takes the habit of addressing his own people. It is only from that moment that we can speak of a national literature. Here, it is at the level of literacy, creation, the taking up of the clarification of themes which are typically nationalist. This may be properly called a literature of combat in the sense that it calls on the whole people to fight for their existence as a nation. It is a literature of combat because it molds the nation's consciousness, national consciousness, giving it form and contours and flinging open before it new and boundless horizons. It is a literature of combat because it assumes responsibility and because it is the will to liberty expressed in terms of time and space. On another level, the oral traditions, stories, epics, and songs of the people, which formerly were filed away with a set of pieces, are now beginning to change. The storytellers who used to relate their inert episodes now bring them alive and introduce into them modifications which are increasingly fundamental. There is a tendency to bring conflicts up to date and to modernize the kinds of struggle which these stories evoke. Together with the names of heroes and types of weapons, the method of illusion is more and more widely used. The formula, this has all happened all long ago, is all substituted with that of what are we going to speak of happened somewhere else, but if we might as well happen here today, it might happen tomorrow. The example of Algeria is significant in this context. From 1952 to 53 on, the storytellers who were before the... uh, that time stereotyped and tedious to listen to completely overturn their traditional methods of storytelling and contend with their tales, their public, which was formerly scattered and became compact, the epic, which was typified, which with its typified categories reappeared. It became an authentic form of entertainment, which took once more a cultural value. Colonialism made no mistake when from 1955 on it proceeded to arrest those storytellers tellers systemically so now again you know it's becoming inspirational it's engaging with yeah. people it's gaining popularity instead of just being this like haughty talk of the past the fine arts or whatever you know yeah. this is the bread and butter these are the lives of the people and they're going at it together they're gelling around this and again that's where you can have you can you can have revolutionary art i yes. think that's I, there, there's been some debate about whether or not that's yeah, that's a you're thing. not going to start a revolution on art, but revolutionary no. art is part of a revolution. It, yes. it carries alongside of it. You can have it. Yes. Um, it's a matter of if it's delivering its message to be cathartic or to be inspiring, and it's going to be a hell of a lot more expi- inspiring if you feel the people. It's something that, that comes out of being part of the struggle. Yep. The contact of the people with the new movement gives rise to a new rhythm of life and to forgotten muscular tensions and develops the imagination. Every time the storyteller relates a fresh episode to his public, he presides over a real invocation. The existence of a new type of man is revealed to the public. The present is no longer turned in upon itself, but spread out for all to see. The storyteller once more gives free reign to his imagination. He makes innovations and he creates a work of art. It it even happens that the characters, which are barely ready for such transformation, highway robbers or more or less antisocial vagabonds are taken up and remodeled. The emergence of the imagination of the creative urge in the songs and epic stories of a colonized country is worth following. The storyteller replies to the expectant people by successive approximations and makes his way, apparently alone but in fact helped by his public, toward the seeking out of new patterns, that is to say national patterns. Comedy and farce disappear and lose their attraction. As for dramatization, it is no longer placed on the plane of troubled intellectual and is tormented conscious. By losing its characteristics of despair and revolt, the drama becomes part of the common lot of the people and forms part of an action in preparation or an already in progress. 
Satire is not going to start a revolution. No, no. And we just <laughs> talked about John Oliver and the Daily yep. Show, too. God, I love it. I yep. fucking love it when shit yep. comes to this. See, when I don't read ahead, I feel smart when I get to the conclusion <laughs> first. This is fun. That's why That's why you're in, you're in here first. Don't read ahead, guys. That's that's Nathan's motto for the day. Don't listen to Nathan. Read ahead. Never listen to Nathan. <laughs> uh, where handicrafts are concerned, the forms of expression, which are formerly, formerly were the dregs of art, surviving as if in a daze, now begin to read out woodwork for example which formally turned out certain faces of attitudes by the million begins to be differentiated the inexpensive or overwrought mass comes to life and the arts tend to be raised from the body as if to sketch an action compositions containing two three or four or five figures appear the traditional schools are led to creative efforts by a rising avalanche of amateurs or of critics this new vigor in the sector of cultural life very often passes unseen and yet it is a contribution to the national effort is of capital importance by carving figures and faces which are full of life, and by taking his theme group affixed on the same pedestal, the artist invites participation upon an organized movement. And again, you can see, I mean, American versions, you know, I mean, uh, uh, beating from indigenous people, gra- revolutionary graffiti, you know, things like that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this is starting to outwardly expression, and this is really revolution coming to life. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um uh, am I looking? Am I thinking to it? This is like the second or third time it's come out. Capital importance is that? Is he playing? He knows what capital. I mean, he's is that? Is he using that tongue in any way? Or am I just reading too much? I, in it? I don't. I maybe All I right. didn't catch that. I, I, I just he, think primary importance. But yeah, I mean, he keeps he saying capital importance, and I don't. I, it, maybe mm, maybe right. he's, he's he's a clever guy. I, oh, I would put it past him. Oh, we've seen it. We've <laughs> seen it. If we study the repercussions of the awakenings of national consciousness in the domains of ceramics and pottery making, guys, we are talking about pots. The same observations <laughs> may be drawn. Formalism is abandoned in the craftsman's work. Jugs, jars, and trays are modified, at first imperceptibly, then almost savagely. The colors of which formerly there were but few and which obeyed the traditional rules of harmony increase in number and are influenced by the repercussion of the rising revolution. Certain ochres and blues, which seem forbidden to all eternity in a given cultural era, now assert themselves without giving rise to scandal. In the same way, the stylization of the human face, which according to sociologists is typical of very clearly defined regions, becomes suddenly completely relative. The specialist coming from the home country and the ethnic Technologists are quick to note these changes. On the whole, such changes are condemned in the name of a rigid code of artistic style and of a cultural life which grows up at the heart of the colonial system. The colonialist specialists do not recognize these new forms of art and rush to help to the help of the traditions of the indigenous society. It is the colonialists who become the defenders of native style. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. We remember perfectly, and the example took on a certain measure of importance since the real nature of colonialism was not involved. The reactions of the white jazz specialists when after the Second World War, new styles such as bebop took definite shape. The fact that it is in their eyes, jazz should be only be the despairing, broken down nostalgia of an old Negro who is trapped between five glasses of whiskey, the curse of his race and the racial hatred of the white man. As soon as the Negro comes to an understanding of himself and understands the rest of the world differently, when he gives birth to hope and forces back the racist universe, it becomes clear that his trumpet sounds more clearly and his voice less hoarsely. The new fashions in jazz are not simply born of economic competition. We must, without any doubt, see in them one of the consequences of the defeat, slow but sure, of the southern world of the United States. Man, Fanon, it was way slower than you thought. Uh, <laughs> and it is not utopian to suppose that in 50 years' time, the new type of jazz howl hiccuped by a poor, misfortunate Negro will be upheld only by the whites who believe it as an expression of negritude and who are faithful to this arrested image of a type of relationship. Kind of a couple, couple things jump out there. That definitely yeah. feels like uh like like white people hugging the nostalgic rap. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, like like people yeah. not uh-huh. Yeah, like I I think specifically of rap and and yeah. hip hop and that's in that consequence. I also when I think back up I'm trying to think of defenders of the tr- you know, you you become the defenders of the of the traditional nations. I'm thinking of every Every white guy I have seen wearing uh, turquoise stuff out in Arizona, like that that old mm. that that what what oh god what is the 
What is the indigenous group that is native to that, oh, that region? Uh, oh, fuck. Navajo? Navajo. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, Aztec was bouncing around. And I'm like, no, no that's far the south. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, that's a big region. I think there's like there's 13 multi- different nations yes, in that correct. area. <laughs> but when you think of, I, you, you think, but when I say, when I say. But I, I, I think you were gunning for Navajo. Yeah, it's the, that's the widely known. When I say Arizona, and yeah. then I say Native American Arizona, and uh, are you, you, if you're, you I'm think, of, to think of rich what? ass white guys wearing turquoise belt buckles and shit like that. That actually kind of brings up uh, what was that heart? Okay, so it was called Chambers is what it was. It was on Netflix. It was a series called Chambers and it starred an Apache woman and so I was just thinking when you were talking okay, about that's where region, pa- okay. Apache. Because th- I think there's like, like uh, seven seven divisions of a pet i don't know we really you really we really I don't know paused, enough about this we just paused for edit and you came up with one more thing you really didn't yes. have at the moment why really, why 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 yeah 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 go back david's an idiot oh uh, yeah it's good when i god. do know things i forget them yeah and that's a yeah, bad thing god damn it all right well there we go fun fun and exciting go. times yes uh we might in the same way seek and find in dancing singing and traditional rites and ceremonies the same upward springing trend and make out the same changes and the same impatience in the field Well before the political or fighting phase of the national movement, an attentive spectator can thus feel and see the manifestation of new vigor and feel the approaching conflict. He will note unusual forms of expression and themes which are fresh and imbued with a power which is no longer that of invocation, but rather the assembling of the people, assembling together for a precise purpose. Everything works together to awaken the native sensibility and to make unreal and inacceptable the contemplative attitude or the acceptance of defeat. The native rebuilds his perceptions because he renews the purpose and dynamism of the craftsmen of dancing and of music and of literature and the oral tradition. His world comes to lose its accursed character. The conditions necessary for the inevitable conflict are brought together. We have noticed the appearance of the movement in cultural forms, and we have seen that this movement and these forms are linked to the state of maturity of the national consciousness. Now this movement tends more and more to express itself objectively in institutions. From thence comes the need for a national existence, whatever the cost. A frequent mistake, which uh, and one which is moreover hardly justifiable, is to try to find cultural expressions for and to give new values to native culture within the framework of colonial domination. This is why we arrive at a proposition which at first sight seemed paradoxical. The fact that in a colonized country, the most elementary, most savage, and most undifferentiated nationalism is the most fervent and efficient means of defending the national culture. For culture is first the expression of a nation, the expression of its preferences of its taboos and of its patterns it is at a very early stage of the world that the society is at every stage of the world that no, the whole society no it is at every stage of the whole of society, society that you, you inserted like five words that weren't there <laughs> values and patterns are formed and national culture is the sum of total of all these appraisals it is the result of international and ex- no internal god damn it david's getting cut off from reading it's all of internal <laughs> tensions exerted over society as a whole and also at every level of that society in the colonial situation culture which is doubly depraved of the support of na- of the nation and of the state falls away and dies hey withering of the state the yes. condition for its existence is therefore national liberation and the renaissance of the state david try it again the nation is not only the condition of culture its fruitfulness and its continuous renewal and its deepening it is also a necessity it is the fight for national existence which sets a culture moving and opens its doors of creation. Later on, it is the nation which will ensure the conditions and framework necessary to culture. The nation gathers together the various indispensable elements necessary for the creation of a culture, those elements which alone can give it credibility, validity, life, and creative power. In the same way, it is its national character that will make such a culture open to other cultures and which will enable it to influence and permeate other cultures. A non-existent culture can hardly be expected to have bearing on reality reality or in or to influence reality. The first necessity is to reestablish the national nation in order to give life to a national culture in the strictly biological sense of the phrase. Thus, we have followed the breakup of the old strata of culture and shattering, which becomes increasingly fundamental. And we have noticed on the eve of the decisive conflict for national freedom, the renewing of forms of expression and the rebirth of the imagination. There remains one essential question. What are the relations between the struggle, whether political or military, and 
and culture? Is there a suspension of culture during the conflict? Is the national struggle an expression of a culture? Finally, ought one to say the battle for freedom, however fertile, a posteriori with regard to culture, is itself a negation of culture? In short, is the struggle for liberation a cultural phenomenon or not? We believe that the consciousness and organized undertaking by a colonized people to reestablish the sovereignty of that nation constitutes the most complete and obvious cultural manifestation that exists. I'm not actually sure who we is in that situation. Yeah, that's that's an interesting, yeah. (laughs) Uh, It is not alone the success of the struggle, which afterward gives validity and vigor to culture. Culture is not put into cold storage during the conflict. (laughs) (laughs) He's getting Lenny again. I was about to say, that's a good line. That's a good line. Yeah. Uh, The struggle in itself is a development and its internal progression sends culture along different paths and traces out entirely new ones for it. The struggle for freedom does not give back to the national culture its former value and shapes. This struggle, which aims at fundamentally different set of relations between men, cannot leave intact either the form or the content of the people's culture. After the conflict, there is not only the disappearance of colonialism, but also the disappearance of the colonized man. This new humanity cannot do otherwise than define a new humanism both for itself and for others. It is prefigured in the objectives and the methods of the conflict. A struggle which mobilizes all classes of people and which expresses their aims and their impatience, which is not afraid to count almost exclusively on the people's support, will of necessity triumph. The value of this type of conflict is that it supplies the maximum of conditions necessary for the development and aims of culture. After national freedom has been obtained in these conditions, there is no such painful cultural indecision which is found in certain countries which are newly independent. Because the nation, by its manner of coming into being and in the terms of its existence, exerts a fundamental influence over culture, a nation which is born of the people's concerted action and which embodies the real aspirations of the people while changing the state cannot exist save in the expression of exceptionally rich forms of culture." Keep going. Okay. The natives who are anxious for the culture of their country and who wish to give it a universal dimension ought not, therefore, to place their confidence in the single principle of inevitable, undifferentiated independence written into the conscience of the peoples in order to achieve their task. The liberation of the nation is one thing. The methods and popular content of the fight are another. It seems to us that the future of national culture and its riches are equally also important equally also part and parcel of the values which have ordained the struggle for freedom. And now it is time to announce certain Pharisees, national claims, and it is here and there stated, are a phase that humanity has left behind. It is the day of great concerted actions, and uh, retarded nationalists ought to, in consequence, to set their mistakes Alright. I don't think that's a hard R. No, that's not a hard R. That's that's I think that's uh, the actual that's, yeah, yeah, like, like slowed like, down nationalism. Yeah, yeah, like like yeah, like retard like isn't a flame retardant. Yeah, like yeah. a nationalism retardant. Okay. They, they, yeah. You yeah. know, the, the, their nationalism got hit with a fire extinguisher. Okay. Yeah. Just very, very. Yeah. Unfortunately, we live in a country with horrible, horrible, horrible a, a, um, ableism, and uh, that used in the hard R context is absolutely a slur. slur. I even I even felt uncomfortable reading it, but I knew it wasn't in that sense. And it's almost hard to. Yeah. yeah. It ha- that is the word. That yeah, is that, that is, is what the word, the word is supposed to do. It yeah. has to do its job. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we, however, consider that their mistake, which may have had very serious consequences, lies in wishing to skip the national period. If culture is the expression of national consciousness, it will not hesitate to affirm that in the case of which we are dealing, it, it is the national consciousness which is the most elaborate form of culture. The consciousness of self is not the closing of a door to communication. Philosophical thought teaches us, on the contrary, that it is its guarantee. National consciousness, which is not nationalism, is the only thing that will give us an international dimension. This problem problem of national consciousness and of national culture takes on in Africa a special dimension. The birth of a national consciousness in Africa has strictly contemporaneous connection with the African consciousness. The responsibility of an African as regards to national culture is also responsibility with regard to the African Negro culture. This joint responsibility is not the fact of a metaphysical principle, but of the awareness of a simple rule which wills every independent nation in an Africa where colonialism is still entrenched 
is an encircled nation, a nation which is fragile and in permanent danger. So now he's starting to balance the, you know, all of Africa together versus separate struggles very much there with the national consciousness, but the internationalism rather than just, you know, a, a total single African struggle or a total nationalism that rejects everything else and is antagonistic, even to, to co-struggling nations. Yeah. Uh, and, and, of course, that's what he means by nationalism. We've talked about there where it's certain nationalisms he's very antagonistic to. Yeah. And he uses the word nationalism for it. That doesn't mean he hates all nationalism. Yeah. Uh, if a man is known by his acts, then we will say that the most urgent thing today for the intellectual is to build up his nation. If this building up is true, that is to say, if it interprets the manifest will of the people and reveals the eager African peoples, then the building of a nation is of necessity accompanied by the discovery and encouragement of universalizing values. Far from keeping aloof from the other nations, therefore, it is the national liberation which leads the nation to play its part on the stage of history. It is at the heart of national consciousness that international consciousness lives and grows. And this twofold emerging is ultimately only the source of all culture. Statement made at the Second Congress of Black Artists and Writers, Rome, 1959. Uh, So I guess that whole last section was made... At the, a at the conference? Wow. I did not. Okay, cool. It didn't really demark where that starts, though. It, so. uh, no, I think that's the entire subheading. Yeah. That back to, oh. so you, you, know where my, you know where I said, hey, we hit a subheading. Um, yeah, okay. I think all of that from there on down. Yeah, reciprocal basis of national culture and the fight for freedom. Yeah. Okay. I think that whole. Well, guess like, what else we hit? We finished a chapter. We finished a chapter. Play, do, play the Zelda completion music. You've opened a chest. <laughs> Things are good. Um, yeah. Um, and the next uh, chapter, we're going to, uh, we're not going to start right now because uh, we're going to have to have a conversation about what we're doing with that chapter altogether. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's a different animal than the rest It's of something book. else. So we're going to have a quick conversation off uh, off camera. And uh, that be, you, you know, you'll hear the culmination of that conversation next week. Yep. On Mark's Madness. That's Bye. Right. Uh, we didn't do any of the cleanup during the bonus episode, so we might as well now. Uh, you know, follow us if you want to. Uh, the the best thing if you ever we don't want money. Uh, we we don't we don't desire it. Uh, no. But if you if you want to help us in any way, the best single thing you could possibly do is leave us a review on iTunes because algorithms are the thing that make the world go round. And the way that more people hear us is if there are more reviews. It's just mm-hmm. like it's just a, it's a thing that happens. So if yep. you want to help, that is the single best thing you can do to help um and it only works if you do it on itunes because again they're the one the evil empire that rules the world um if you want to just follow our mad ramblings uh at mark's madness pod at gmail or at mark's madness pod on twitter yeah is where uh i uh this week have been just retweeting adam johnson nonstop. i'm basically adam johnson's second account um (laughs) because damn it damn it uh he's if there's one thing he is good at it's analyzing fucking bullshit media critique as it's happening yeah um yeah that's kind of his wheelhouse it's kind of his wheelhouse he's the best at it uh yeah and that happens a lot when we start killing people. Yep, 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 and yep, I say yep, we as in the United States, not yeah, something yeah. I would. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't have to critique our murder spree. Yeah. Um. But uh. Yeah. So that's there. If you want to send us an email, uh, we have one of those. It's at uh. It's marksmadnesspod at gmail Um. If you want to directly engage uh, with at least half of this podcast, and one of these days I'll force David to get into it, <laughs> um, if you directly want to have back and forth, or if you just want to chill out in a cool place where you can actually talk theory like live and in action, um, the Dumb and Awful Discord is where I uh, is where I spend a majority of my time online. Um, I post stuff on Twitter, but if I want to have discussion, it's happening in that Discord. Uh, and there are a lot of good people there that have a lot of good conversations, and uh, uh, we we are moving forward. So if you if you want to go to a place and do stuff, that's where you can find us. Uh, we're, we're we're Mark's Madness Pod in there. We're we're very easy to spot. Also, when I say we, it's just me. David has no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm smiling and nodding though. He is. He is smiling and nodding in yeah, agreement because yeah, yeah. his old man yells at cloud. Knows that's knows right. I will keep... always be old man yells at cloud with this podcast. It is. It is. But uh, but that being that being said, we have finished the chapter. So yes. uh, one way or another, we'll see you next week. I'm Nathan. I'm David. Bye. Bye. Bye.